I was recently called out by my great friend, Abdullah Mawali, on some things that have been going on, that I've been sharing about in my show. And to him, it felt really disingenuous. And so on today's episode of the show, I am coming out of the closet. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to the Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Thank you so much for being with me here today, episode 183. We've come a long way, and today I'm coming out of the closet. Now, I have to be clear, I am happily married to an incredibly beautiful, loving wife, and I have four amazing boys, so I am not coming out of that closet if you catch my drift, but I am coming out of the intellectual closet, so to speak. Just make sure that I'm really clear about where I'm coming from, what I'm talking about, and why I am talking about it. Um, as I said, I, I've had a conversation with Abdullah Mawali over the past uh, week, some long messages back and forth, and he's pointed out to me that in some ways, the way that I've been sharing here on the show is disingenuous and kind of a put off. And so I thought it would be only right for me to come out of the intellectual closet and really lay out um, where my worldview is coming from and why I have shifted the show now, maybe eight months ago, away from talking about uh, purpose and passion to talking about things such as truth. Um, and so, as I said, here is. Uh, a criticism by Abdullah. Um, and this is one of the messages that we sent back and forth. And uh, this one really hit home for me. And when I heard him share this, I was like, you know what? He has a point. He has some really great points here. And so I don't want to ignore them or gloss over them. I felt if if he's feeling this as a listener, maybe you're feeling it too. And because of that, I want to address the criticism head on, take a punch right to my jaw. So here's the clip from Abdullah. I totally agree with the whole idea of testing the truth. 100%, you know. It's also known as the scientific method. You can't just um, um, base things on assumptions. Actually, you can. Um, and in my, my opinion, a lot of people do that, including myself. We grew up with a set of... Um, uh, information that we just assume that is true and, and before you know it we're banging our heads against the wall wondering why things are not the way they should be and it's because we never went back and tests our, uh, test our, uh, tested our assumptions or what we perceive as just facts or truth that's such a valid point uh, and in fact if uh, I, I credit you honestly on a lot of things that I just never uh, put any mental thought in or a mental effort in. And this is why I love these kind of conversations because you rest in what you think you know and then someone comes and challenges that and then you ask yourself more of these questions that you haven't asked yourself before and now you're forced to uh, reckon with uh, these things that you wouldn't have otherwise if you just maintained in staying in your bubble. It's super valuable. 
So that's one really great point. I, I felt really encouraged by that point. There's some more hard points coming in just a minute. But I was really encouraged by that point that he made that, um, you know, that in some ways I have been really uh, influential in his life in that manner. Um, and it's true. On this show, we I, I love to challenge people's people's ideas. I love to challenge, especially when it comes to their worldview on is there truth. Now we're going to get into that a little bit more of why I specifically talk about absolute truth um, and, and where that argument is coming from and why I'm even making that argument so much on this show. Um, but here's the rest of Abdullah's criticisms. It's just that uh... Maybe like uh, your podcast wasn't about this before, right? It wasn't about this. It it was, it was about um, um, passion and purpose and finding meaning in the things that you do in this world, or in the earth. And it was tangible. You weren't. You were even the way you spoke was in tangible terms. But uh, somewhere along the way. Um, it became about um, promoting Christianity. <laughs> it became about that became the core of the show, and that's when you started using the word truth, 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 without referring to anything. You're using the word truth, but you're not referring to anything, and it's because you're referring to the subtext. You're referring to this thing which you can't say, and it's it's a put off, really. Like, let's talk about religion. And then there you can use the word truth when you're describing specifics of the religion you're talking about. Or let's not talk about religion. Let's talk about truth as in climate change. Let's talk about the facts when it comes to climate change. And let's refer to truth in that context. Let's talk about truth when it comes to Hell, even American politics, if that's what you want to do, and then refer to the facts when you're talking about truth in that context. But there is this ethereal truth that you keep referring to, but not saying what it is. That just gets too much. Uh, even some of the questions you'll ask your guests is like, do you believe in an absolute truth? An idiot wouldn't. Of course there's absolute truth, but what are we referring to? <laughs> what are we referring to with absolute truth? You know? Um, Let's talk about that. What are we actually referring to? Let's talk about things we can, that are tangible. Or let's talk about things that are not tangible, but let's call them what they are, if that makes sense. By the way, if I'm coming off combative or whatever, it's just, I promise you, I'm not like, a, that's the way I think. I get very passionate. <laughs> that was the, the clip that really got me thinking from Abdullah and and he made a lot a lot of really great points. He talked about the subtext from which I'm speaking from, which is my worldview and 100% my I have a Judeo Christian worldview and I definitely have not kept that hidden and if I have or if it's come across that I have kept that hidden then my deepest apologies um but I have definitely talked about my beliefs even as from the beginning episodes talking about my Christian Judeo worldview talking about issues such as forgiveness talking about issues such as 
uh, abortion, murder. But often, since I live in the Middle East, there is a built-in assumption that's, aha, well, because you are coming from a Christian Judeo worldview and speaking out of that subcontext, out of that subtext, out of that framework by which I do, I view the entire world through that framework. There is then an assumption of, oh, you're actually talking out against Islam, which I would say I'm definitely not, definitely not on my show. It's not a topic that we cover. Now, we definitely have guests who most of our guests actually are Muslim on the show, and we talk about the the frameworks of which we believe in in our faith. But the thing is, in most of the conversations I have, I'm not with with Muslims, with people in the Middle East, with with listeners from my audience in the States or in Saudi Arabia, UAE, my audience in India, the audience in the Netherlands, maybe my audience in the UK or New Zealand, Oman, I, I'm not encountering an Islamic worldview when I'm engaging with my my circle of friends, when I'm engaging with you, the listener. It's not a Islamic worldview. It is a secular humanist worldview. It is a postmodern worldview of most of the guests that are on the show. I can think of, of many guests who have come on this show where the worldview that is being spoken of and propagated is one of postmodernism. And that is why I have made a big shift, one of the many reasons why I've made a shift to talking about truth. Because in postmodernism, they actually do not believe in absolute truth. There's actually not a belief in absolute truth. Everything is relative. In postmodernism, there is no such thing as reason or rationality. It is all determinism, and everything can be deconstructed based on identity politic groups. And that leads, when you saw off that branch of reason, when you saw off that branch of a a theistic rooting, a spiritual rooting in, in your beliefs that grounds you, you fall into nihilism. And I have been talking about that from episode one, episode one, where we, where we spent so much time talking about who are we? What are we going to do and where and are we going to get there? Those were so the three main questions that drove me to start this podcast. Who are we? What are we going to do? And are we going to make it? And by and large, I encounter people in the audience, listeners like you or other people, just everyday conversations that I have, whether it's on Instagram or email or WhatsApp we're talking about these issues. We're talking about nihilism. We're talking about what is my purpose? Is there a purpose and meaning to life? So I started talking about that purpose and meaning to life and a vision of, man, let's make an impact with our life. Let's change the world. And that's one of my, our earlier catchphrases here on the show was just that. It's welcome to the own the future where we gain the courage to, what was it? To own our or to our courage to own our story, freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. Courage to own our story, freedom to own our craft, and power to own the future. And I had to pause 
and I had to had a shift and I changed because I realized we were talking about purpose and we were talking about how that was tied to our craft and tied to freedom and knowing who we are, where we came from and where we're going. But I realized, I began to realize it just wasn't enough. Talking about purpose just wasn't enough if it wasn't grounded in a framework by which we can view the world because it's from that framework that we step into freedom. And I realized that I was talking about going out and changing the world. But if you don't know how, if you don't have a right framework, a healthy framework, and you go trying to tinker with systems, you get big problems and big problems fast. And so as I progressed in this, in the show, 183 episodes now, about a year ago, I began to realize that something wasn't clicking. A year ago, I realized that mm, I'm talking about purpose, but it's not grounded in something. I'm talking about changing the world, but it's not grounded in anything. It's all becoming relative. And I am having so many conversations with people who have fallen into nihilism. How do you come out of nihilism? Well, it's meaning, and meaning can only be derived from truth. So about uh, maybe eight months ago, maybe it was in um, March of 2020, I came across this clip by Jonathan Hyatt. And here's a, a, a portion of the clip that it totally transformed this one clip, this one sentence totally transformed the way that I viewed the purpose of this show. Here's the clip. I just want to end by pointing to these two very, very different and I believe fundamentally incompatible views of a university. You might believe that the point of a university is to change the world, or you might believe that the point of the university is to understand the world. I, for one, don't want anybody setting out to try to change complex institutions when their education has systematically disabled them from understanding those institutions. Thank you. Now, I have been talking, and for the first year and a half, was talking about changing the world. You're a change maker. Change the world. Let's change the world. Let's make systems better. Let's make impact on our community and our environment and our society and our government and our schools and our healthcare. Let's change the world. And then I read, I heard that clip on YouTube, and the link is in the show notes. I, I listened to this clip and I realized, man, I, I can either be like... Karl Marx and talking about changing the world, not just understanding the world, but changing the world unto nothing. Or I can be like John Mills and talk about how we need to understand the world. And that was a big shift for me, realizing, wait, I've been talking about purpose and taking action, but we don't have, I don't, I don't have, I'm not talking about a grounding of understanding that we can then springboard off of to actually fulfill our purpose, to actually step into passion, to actually leave a positive impact on the world. Because if we do not understand the world and the highly complex systems within the world, we might 
do something and change the world, thinking that we're changing the world for the better, thinking that we're helping people or helping our neighbor or society or someone else or a political system. We might think that we're helping by our ideas, but if we do not understand the system that we're tinkering with, we can have detrimental impacts in society. Change is not always good. Change in our society, change in our home, change in our education system, in the healthcare system, it is not always good. In fact, there is a a book called The The Diffusion of Innovation, and I was reading this about the same time that I was starting this podcast, and I came across this story, and it has stuck with me and changed, it stuck with me so much and changed the way that I think I've been processing this story for about two years now, and I want to read you um, a a segment from this book and this story, which really demonstrates how simple actions that we think are great and positive can have incredibly horrible impacts on society, even when we intend the good, even when we intend the best. Here is this clip, this this story from the diffusion of innovation. I'm going to read it to you. Steel axes for Aborigines. The consequences of the adoption of steel axes by a tribe of Australian Aborigines vividly illustrates the need for consideration of the undesirable, indirect, and unanticipated consequences of an innovation. Now here, innovation means any sort of thought or idea being introduced into any sort of system. The tribe was a year Rorant, who traveled in small nomadic groups over a vast territory in search of game and other food. The central tool in their culture was the stone axe, which the Yurant found indispensable in producing food, constructing shelters, and heating their homes. It is hard to imagine a more complete revolution than that precipitated by the adoption of the steel axe as a replacement for the stone axe. The method of study used by Sharp in 1952 to investigate the Eurant was that of participant observation in which a scientist studies a culture by taking part in its everyday activities. In the 1930s, an American anthropologist was able to live with the Eurorant for 13 months without seeing another outsider. Because of their isolation, the tribe was relatively unaffected by Western civilization until the establishment of nearby missionaries post in recent years. The missionaries distributed many steel axes among the Eurorant as gifts and as payments for work performed. Before the days of the steel axe, the stone axe was a symbol of masculinity and of respect for elders. Only men owned stone axes, but women and children were the principal users of these tools. Axes were borrowed from fathers, husbands, or uncles according to a system of social relationship, 
prescribed by custom. The Urarant obtained their stone axe heads in exchange for spears through bartering with other tribes, a process that took place as part of elaborate rituals at seasonal fiestas. When the missionaries distributed the steel axes to the Urarant, they hoped a rapid improvement in living conditions would result. There was no important resistance to the shift from stone to steel axes because the tribe was accustomed to securing their tools through trade. Steel axes were more efficient for most tasks and the stone axes rapidly disappeared among the Urarant. But the steel axe contributed to little social progress. To the disappointment of the missionaries, the Urarant used their newfound leisure time for sleep, an act they had thoroughly mastered. The missionaries distributed the steel axes to men, women, and children alike. In fact, young men were more likely to adopt the new tool than the elders who maintained a greater distrust for the missionaries. The result was a disruption of status relations among the Urarant and a revolutionary confusion of age and sex roles. Elders, once highly respected, now became dependent upon women and younger men and were often forced to borrow steel axes from those socially inferior. The trading rituals among the tribes also became disorganized. Friendship ties among traders broke down and interest declined in annual fiestas where the barter of stone axes for spears had formally taken place. The religious system and the social organization of the Urarant became disorganized as a result of the tribe's inability to adjust to the innovation. The men began the practice of prostituting their daughters and wives in exchange for the use of someone else's steel axe. That's an excerpt from The Diffusion of Innovation by Everett Rogers. Now, here there are some people who meant good. They introduced a new idea, a new innovation, the steel axe and replaced for a stone axe. And little did they know that it would upend the entire social structure of this group. And it had detrimental effects. Not only did it increase alcoholism, did it increase people just sleeping around, and it in increased prostitution. Men began prostituting their daughters and their wives out so that they could borrow a steel axe, which was something that was never or hardly ever, but not practiced in their society up to that point. So at, this was always in the back of my mind as I have been thinking about this show, as I was thinking about this clip from Jonathan Hyatt. I I realized that I was just saying, hey, go out and change the world. Go out and live your purpose. Go out and do your passion and try to make the world a better place. Well, sometimes when we try to make a world a better place, if it's not grounded, as Jonathan Hyatt said, in 
on understanding of these complex institutions that we're trying to affect change in, we are going to end up with catastrophic results like Marx did. And we've talked at at, at at length about Marx and Marxism, socialism in, in the last year on this show. We have talked at length, the multiple series on the effects of socialism across uh, the USSR, across China. We have talked at length of how this ideology is so uh, uh, dangerous and it upends so much. But at the core of the ideology is change, change, change. We just need to continue to change and revolutionize the system without a real grounding in truth. Because Marxism and postmodernism actually says there is no such thing as reason. And anything is permissible as long as it just as it it gets you to your ends. The, the ends justify the means, essentially, is a core principle in Marxism. So if killing 100,000 people is going to get you to your ends, then by all means, go ahead and do it if it's going to push forward the Marxist ideology. And this is what happens when we unmoor ourselves from truth and reason. And so now Abdullah's argument is is not necessarily against that there is truth. He said, of course, there is absolute truth. But the reason that I have been pressing this question of like, okay, do you believe that there is truth? And of course, I'm not coming specifically down into defining that truth, but we'll get to that. But as John Stuart Mills articulated, we have to understand how the world operates, which in a level is truth. We have to have a, a, co- a cohesive and a coherent worldview. And that to me is truth, seeing the world rightly. So now, as Abdullah pointed out, we, we can talk, there's lots of different levels or of truth. We can talk about the facts of climate change. We can talk about uh, truth, uh, moral truth, moral virtues, what is good and bad. Um, and, and we've talked about that at length on this show about whether it's abortion or we've talked about the truth of justice. What What is justice? And we've talked about the difference between social justice and justice and how social justice actually really isn't justice at all. And so, as I began to wrestle with Jonathan Hyatt's uh, hypothesis that the universities shifted from trying to understand the world to trying to change the world, and I realized I'm just trying to tell people to go out and change the world without taking time to stop and understand the world with the context of the story that when we just go out and change the world, it can actually have really damaging effects. I took a step back and I realized that I need to take it a level further down. And Abdullah was absolutely 100% right in that when the show started, we were talking about something totally different and then we pivoted along the way. Now, when I'm talking about truth, I'm not purposely being shadowed or guarded. When I ask about absolute truth, it's because I'm trying to press people to see where they lie. Are they on the side of, relative moral relativism, or are they side of the fact that there is morality in the world, there is a right and a wrong way to view the world, and it's our job to go out and discern that. So as I've been wrestling with these two ideas of wanting to walk out our purposes in the earth, 
and make an impact with our lives while at the same time needing a framework. I've spent a lot of time over the the last year wondering what is the purpose of my show? What is the purpose of this show here? And that brings me to the next clip also from that same lecture by Jonathan Hyatt. The uh, Aristotelian notion of telos is extremely helpful. So Aristotle, uh, Greek philosophers of that era, would analyze things in terms of multiple causes and what is, what is the end purpose or goal of an object, person, or practice? Then we can evaluate. Do, how well does this instantiation meet that goal? Is this a good knife? Well, if it's dull, if it doesn't cut, it's not a good knife. And we can ask that about various professions. The telos of medicine obviously is health or healing, scholarship is truth, and law is justice. So I've been asking myself, what is the purpose of the show? And I've been asking many of you, what's the purpose of the show? What what do you get out of this show? What Why do you come back and listen? And one of the things that I've heard from multiple people is that it helps me see the world more clearly. And if I could boil down a purpose to the show, it would not be as much uh, of promote, quote unquote, promoting Christianity, as Abdullah said. But I would say that the purpose of this show for me is promoting people to seek out with their mind, with their heart, with their fullness of who they are, what is true in the world. And now Abdullah's uh, pushback, and I think it's a right pushback, um, and I'm grateful that we're able to have this type of relationship where we're able to respectfully and kindly have a dialogue back and forth with one another. This is exactly why I started the show, because I wanted to build a a group of people who were would to ask questions and to ask me questions and ask themselves questions. The, uh, uh, a group of people who would say, okay, well, I am going to pause and seek out why it is I believe what I believe. And I'm going to seek out where do these ideas come from and where do these ideas lead to and are these ideas true? And when I say true, I mean, are they are they square? Are, is, uh, you know, when you drop a plumb line down and see, is the wall vertical? Is this idea vertical or does it warped in some ways? And can I build a foundation on this idea? And to Abdullah's point, I use that word truth um, very loosely and vaguely, and oftentimes it seems like I'm I'm speaking to a subtext of the Christ- a Judeo-Christian worldview, which of course I'm coming from a Judeo-Christian worldview, so I'm viewing the world through that framework. But when I speak of truth, I think I'm I'm talking about something that's as Abdullah said, much broader. And I realize that I've been weak in being more specific. So truth as in, is murder okay? Truth as in, when does life begin? Truth as in, is the climate changing? Truth as in, is there a gender pay gap? And and these are all things that we have covered here on the show. We talked about in episode 165, the three levels of abstraction that helps us see whether something is good or bad. So when I look at the purpose of the show, it is not so much to promote Christianity, even though I do believe that the Judeo-Christian worldview is the 
the only coherent and cohesive worldview that I have found. I would not necessarily, and and I say that just as Jordan Peterson would say that, and I would say that just as Ben Shapiro would say that, or Dennis, Dennis Prager would say that. I see that the Christian Judeo worldview is cohesive and coherent, and it builds a framework by which we can view the world and discern the things that are happening in the world and make judgments and not judgments as far as judging people and casting judgment, but judgments as far as saying, which road do I want to go on? Which choices do I want to make? A a way that we can discern what is right and what is wrong, what is helpful and what is damaging. And that isn't just in a vacuum of a religious ideology, but that comes in with reason, that comes in with looking at statistics, with looking at facts, and with evaluating the world rationally, not just from a a position of ethereal faith. And so I tried to do that on the show, and maybe I have not been doing that well enough. So my ultimate purpose, my ultimate purpose for this show, as at least as it stands, when I started, the purpose was a little different. I, I articulated things differently. And now where, where I stand today, I would say the purpose of this show is to help you and I create a coherent and cohesive framework by which we can view and evaluate the world that is, in fact, biased. And that bias is a bias against postmodernism. It is a bias against materialism. It is a bias for dualism. It's a bias for reason and at the same time, a bias for faith. Because most of the people that I talk to, we believe that there is a God. We believe in in faith. We believe in the spirit realm. We believe that we were created. Most of the people I talk to are not pure agnostic or atheist believing that, you know, or materialist. I don't really engage with a lot of materialists, but I engage with so many people that know that God is out there. And at the same time, when they go to university or when they listen to, uh, I wouldn't say mainstream media, when, it, when you listen to the established media and voices that are out there, it skews towards secular humanism. It skews towards materialism. So if I could say a purpose, it would not be to promote Christianity, but it would be to promote a worldview, to help people see a worldview in which they can understand the world that still holds on to what they hold dear within their faith, and at the same time, to understand faith and the spirit realm better than we do right now. And I know I haven't talked a lot about spirituality on the show, and maybe, according to Abdullah, maybe that's something I need to be more explicit about. One example is just recently we had Mustafa Abbas on the show, and he was sharing how prayer is the one thing that he believes can can shape and change destiny. And, you know, that's from an Islamic perspective. And I really loved that articulation. I, I really love that. So where Abdullah's point really comes into play is that in many ways, this show is half pregnant. And if you have been on any of the inside conversations where I have been trying to process with you of where to take this show, how to take the next steps, how to, to produce better 
quality content to produce richer material. That's one thing I've been actually articulating. Sometimes I feel like I'm half pregnant. I don't know quite where to go. So I think Abdullah's point is actually really accurate. And I apologize to you if in any way it's it's felt disingenuous in a lack of forthrightness in my my Judeo-Christian worldview or in my uh, uh, conservative worldview. So within that worldview, it is not as much as Jesus Christ is Lord. It is more looking at principles and how moral principles, when applied to an individual or applied to society, actually produces good and healthy fruit. It actually produces a great ecosystem and actually transforms society. We see that in Japan, where Japan adopted a moral principle of there will be no corruption. Before they did, there was so much corruption. But when they adopted the the moral truth of thou shalt not steal, and they actually adopted that as society, it boomed as an economic center. When, When different cultures adopt right and sound principles within their worldview, they reap the benefits. And that is whether they fully adopt a Judeo-Christian worldview or not. But the principles, sound and right principles, produce good fruit. Now, do I know all of the answers? No, I'm definitely not pretending to know all of the answers, but I am definitely taking time to research and study and understand different topics. And right now, the one that I'm really focused on, as I said, is postmodernism. And maybe that's because of my background as being Polish and, and, and seeing so many of my people, just even in my genes, just destroyed by communism and socialism. And also, it's a really big movement and as an ideologue in the world. It's this ideology is surging forth in the world. And it scares me because we can see where it has brought society before and it will bring us to that place again. So do I view the world through a Judeo-conservative Christian worldview? Absolutely. But by that, I mean, I, I believe that you should have freedom to believe what you want to believe, that you should have freedom to practice your faith in the way that you want to practice. There should be freedom of speech, which is a very conservative American idea. Do I believe that this worldview is cohesive and coherent? A hundred percent. Just as I said, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, or or Dennis Prager might say the very same thing. Do I think that we should disregard facts and science and reason and in place Put faith just as Kant did and postmodernists do, because that's what postmodernism does. It rejects reason, it rejects science, it rejects reason, and it boils everything down to materialism and says there is no such thing as reason or rationality. We are just purely based in faith, even though that faith isn't in a spiritual reality. So when I talk about truth and we talk about the pursuit of truth, it is a charge to test our assumptions. Just as Abdullah said in the beginning, it's the scientific method. Let's test our assumptions and to push past the face values of what we believe, whether it's that, well, I believe my favorite color is blue or I want to become an engineer when I grow up or the right career path or whether there should be government health care and government education. 
it it is good for us to ask ourselves where do the eyes these ideas come from where do these ideas lead and how do they manifest throughout history and what is the right way to make sound judgment on that and in many ways i think that's what i mean when i talk about truth it's are you seeing the world rightly do you have sound judgment are you walking in wisdom because wisdom is the door to free to to freedom wisdom is the door to happiness now to be very explicit that comes from my christian judeo worldview that truth sets us free that is a christian judeo principle that wisdom opens up the door to happiness that is a christian judeo principle so my apologies in in the past if in my wanting to be open and accepting in my in my my wanting not to become a Christian podcast or a Christian show in my wanting to say, hey, like, I'm not trying to box people out. I want to have a, an open dialogue with people who don't think like me. I've been very explicit not to attach some Christian uh, words or some Christian vernacular to the things that I'm talking about because I don't want to alienate people. But as Abdullah said, it feels really disingenuous. And, and for that, I definitely deeply apologize both to you and Abdullah and to you if you're feeling the same way from listening to the show. So I do have a worldview. I do believe that worldview is a coherent, cohesive worldview. And when I speak about truth, I'm speaking about the laws of nature in the world. And when I say laws of nature, I do mean the physics and I mean the morality, knowing that there's actually a right way to see and judge the world. Now, do you and I have, do I have all the answers, all the perspectives? No. And I do not want to crystallize in that. I want you to continue to grow. And this is one thing that Dr. Stephen Hicks talked about. That oftentimes in the in people's teens and 20s, they crystallize around an ideology and then 20 years later, it proves to be wrong. It proves to be false. Their, their theories have been debunked. But then instead of going back and saying, mm, I was wrong, I missed some points in my thesis, instead, oftentimes, they double down because the cost of admitting that you're wrong was too great. And I don't want to be in that place as a person and as an individual. And I hope that you don't want to be in that place either of being too crystallized in your worldview, in your thought, to not being open to evaluate whether the things that we believe are true or not. Now, when I say true, again, I'm not talking to some ethereal thing. I mean, I'm seeing is the way that we view the world, is it clear? And I believe that, you know, and when I was in university, I started this little blog and it was to see more glass and it was kind of a hat tip to J.D. Salinger, who's one of my favorite authors, and, and to this idea of seeing more glass. And the idea of this blog, which sadly no longer exists, it was that we see the world through lenses and these lenses distort our vision. That really, we were born with 2020 vision, but we have all these layers of glasses on us that that dif distort our vision. And it's if we can see that glass in front of us and we can remove that glass, we can see the world more and more clearly. If we can see the 
the skewed lenses that we view the world through. Now, that was an idea and a concept that I started thinking about 15 years ago. And I still think about those ideas of how are we viewing the world and are we viewing it through a skewed lens? And if we are, how can we take off those lenses so that we can see the world more clearly? And if we can see the world more clearly, I really do believe that we can step into our purposes. And I really do believe that we can step into happiness and step into wisdom because wisdom is taking that knowledge, taking everything that we know and knowing how to apply it in the moment. And that is something that brings us into happiness, that brings us into freedom, and that will bring us into owning the future, which is the, the, the show name that we started with, Own the Future. And I really believe that we can become agents of change that produce uh, amazing things in the world. Just as I, I talked about last year about how moms are the greatest change makers because they spend time and they pour into their, their children without getting recognition, right? They're, they're the ones that classically they're, you know, they're doing quote unquote all the work and praise God that gender roles are beginning to morph and change and that husbands are saying, hey, I, I, there's a growing trend across the world that husbands are saying, hey, I actually want to stay home and really be involved in raising my kids as well. And so praise God that that's changing. But I still think that there's this enormous recognition that we can look at mothers and say, wow, you carried that baby in your belly for nine, 10 months, and then you, you, you nursed it and you took care of it and you got up in the middle of the night. So many moms do that. And I believe that they really do shape and change the world. They really do shape and change the world. So in closing, when I think of the purpose of this show, I do think of, I, I want the purpose of this show to be, how can we see the world more clearly? Not just how can we see one group of politics. And, and I know, I talk a lot about American politics on this show. Why? Well, I'm an American. I understand American politics. I, I don't really understand UK politics. I don't really understand politics in the Middle East. And I don't really feel like, I have an ability to really critique and speak into that because I don't understand a lot of it. So I speak to what I do know, which is tends to be American politics. But my my purpose and, and my hope and my desire in this show, even as I am currently, you know, really asking, how can I stay, take steps forward into making this uh, something that is meaningful and helpful? in even more ways to you and others like you. My hope is that this really does become a place where people can come to help them see the world more clearly, to help them see how the world fits together, to see how society fits together, to see how justice and the law fits together with love and mercy, which fits together with the way that we raise our kids with our education system and our, our political systems and, and our laws and judiciary systems and the way that, that we run our businesses. I really do want this to be a place where people can come and see that while knowing that this is not from a materialistic standpoint, that this is not from a Marxist standpoint, but it holds a Judeo-Christian worldview. And I, I feel from day one, 
I've tried to make that known without being overtly saying this is the Christian way of seeing things or this is a Judeo Judeo way of viewing the world. Um, just because I don't want to be a turnoff to you. But if I have been a turnoff to you because I haven't been explicit in where these ideas come from, then my deepest, deepest apologies. And in that, I want to play this last clip from the same same lecture by Jonathan Hyatt, where he's he's talking about how early on the the Ivy League universities of America actually believed in dualism. They believed in both the spirit and the natural. They believed uh, in a biblical-based Judeo worldview, and they were centered around that worldview. And as they grew, they moved away from that and they schism from that. So now in America, you'll find some universities that are devoted to to religious ideologies and religious belief systems. And you have some that are devoted to more secular humanistic or secular humanism worldviews that essentially deny, deny uh, the spiritual realm, deny faith all together. And so I want to play this last clip where he he breaks down how there's this schism. And I think it really proves, uh, I really believe that it proves Abdullah's point in his right criticism of saying like, I feel like you're saying you're one thing, but underneath it, it's another. You're saying that you're talking about truth and it's so objective, but really there's an ideology, there's a framework by which you're speaking from, a subtext by which you're talking from that you're not being explicit in it. And because of that, it feels deceptive. And I do not want to be deceptive or make you feel like I am being deceptive. So here's this clip where Jonathan Hyatt explains how the social justice movement that's explicitly pushing for um, Marxist and change in the world, Marxism and change in the world versus pushing for looking how to understand the world. And I think we'll apply to this conversation. Here it is. Now, I want to point out that we've actually already had the schism because even though these schools, these old schools said Veritas, they were actually religious schools and they thought that biblical revelation was compatible with truth. And so all I'm saying is that since we've already had a schism in which some schools went for Christ and some went for truth, I think the last five years has forced us to a second schism. We simply have to decide. Some schools can stand for social justice, so students who are committed to being on the left and who don't want to be exposed to other ideas, they can go to Brown. Students who want to devote themselves to Christ, they can go to Wheaton. And students who want to devote themselves to truth can go to Chicago. This is what I think we need to do. In this last part of his lecture, he explains how when you make it explicitly clear about what your telos is, what your purpose is, what you're going after, then it's like, okay, well, it's a free world. You can do that. And maybe it has been that I have not been explicitly clear. If we just define what we're really going after, we define our purpose, then it can clear up some miscommunication. It can clear up what we're not going for and what we are going for. And so I just want to make sure that it's clear what I feel like I'm going for and where the show is going is that we are going for truth, but it's not the secular humanistic worldview. And it does come from a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so obviously Jonathan Hyatt, who's much smarter than I am, he would likely 
disagree with me and saying, well, that's not truth. But I think I would push back and say, well, that's what secular humanism and materialism, you know, what Yale or Harvard might be teaching. Um, That's secular humanism. Whereas where we're going, where I feel I want to go and where I want to take the show is from a more dualistic perspective where we believe that we are spiritual beings and that we were created by God and that clearly and expressly you know that it's coming from a Judeo-Christian worldview, but within that worldview, it is you have freedom to believe what you want. If you want to be agnostic, so be it. If you want to be fill in the blank, so be it. But let's evaluate those systems of thought. Let's evaluate the truth claims of those systems of thought, just as I like that Abdullah pushed back and evaluated and said, hey, the your system of thought, the way that you're presenting the show, it actually feels disingenuous. And so that is what I want, that back and forth where we are testing and asking questions and searching so that we can make right judgment, so that we can have sound just judgment, so we can have wisdom to walk out and apply change rightly to the systems of society. But that requires us to understand these highly complex systems of society so that we don't just make snap judgments and say, we need to change this institution when really that institution might be operating quite well. But if we don't have a framework by that we can judge rightly, not cast judgment, not like judging someone, but to understand the world in a cohesive, coherent manner with reason and logic and looking at the data, then we will never be able to move forward. We will only be swayed and moved by our emotions. So I hope you understand that. I hope um, that helps you. And if in any way you feel like I've been disingenuous, please reach out to me and I would love to talk to you personally. And I'll see you next time here on the show. Remember, You are someone who asks questions. You ask questions of me. You ask questions of yourself. You don't question for the sake of questioning, but you question because you want to have sound judgment. You want to see the world clearly because if we can see the world clearly, I really do believe we can create a better future. Please share this with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy the show at all, it would mean the world for me to me if you were to share this with your friends. And if you have any questions, you can WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero.